This is Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, where we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. You are listening to the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members like us are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith and the science and practice of medicine. And the views, we should point out on Dr. Doctor, don't necessarily represent those of your co-host or of the Catholic Medical Association. Today, our guest from sunny Tucson, Arizona, will be Dr. Craig Stump, an endocrinologist who's going to help us look at whether or not men over 40 really do sometimes need testosterone. Tom, but we've got some news items that you're going to walk us through first. Well, I'm going to try. We'll start with this, which played on televisions until 2014. Quote, remember when you had more energy for 18 holes with your buddies, more passion for the one you love, more fun with your family and friends? It could be low T. So don't blame it on aging. Aging. You know, it was often aired, of course, during commercial breaks of football games and other sporting events or UFC, ultimate fighting, or, or whatever. You know, when my kids were little, I used to worry that there might be a feminine product commercial that came on TV. <laughs> uh, nowadays, that's the least of our concerns, right? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, with ED and low T everywhere, it's like, I I'm I'm agree with the AMA. The AMA said this in 2015. Stop all direct-to-consumer advertising for prescription medications. I think it would make a lot of lives go better. <laughs> At least it would make a lot of conversations less awkward. <laughs> yes, Daddy, what's that? So anyway, uh, I pulled together a few articles to kind of uh, prep us as well as our listeners for the discussion with Craig Stump. So uh, first from the European urological focus journal, one that is not on my regular reading list, but they actually, you know, it's a European journal. They did a study on the marketing of testosterone treatment in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so they must think that we're pretty odd over here. But they reviewed 20 studies and they looked at what is the market for, here's a big word, hypogonadism. Ooh. What, what is that? Well, hypogonadism is the reason to give testosterone. It means that the, the male, uh, well, what is the word, Chris? The gonad, uh, Yeah, the, the male gonad, the, the area that makes the, what's necessary to make a baby, or otherwise known as the testicles, um, isn't either making sperm or is it making testosterone? And that would be the definition of hypogonadism. You know, and listeners, just for vocabulary fun, hypo always means low. So hypothyroidism means your thyroid is low. Hypogonadism, your gonad product is low. Right, and there's two products there that are important, the testosterone, the, the quote, male hormone, and also the sperm, of course, necessary to have babies. And the amount of the population that could benefit from testosterone is probably uh, at least 5.6% of adult men using the strictest criteria for diagnosis. But this article pointed out that advertisers were targeting over 75% of men with less, um, less realistic needs for testosterone. So they showed that in the last 20 years, the prescriptions for testosterone replacement had gone up two to four times. But even more fascinating, and I can't wait to explore this with Dr. Stump, is that 80 to 85% of men who start testosterone replacement therapy stop it by one year. So it must not have been the panacea that the marketers uh, alluded no. it would be. No, some people think it's a fountain of youth. So there, there's something going drastically wrong. The, the promise and the reality, uh, there's something missing. Uh, despite the you know great amount of misinformation on the internet, yes, we hate to burst bubbles that <laughs> everything you read on the internet is not true, uh, like Abe Lincoln said. But this idea of an <clears throat> off-label indication, and that means uh, selling or using a medication for something that it's not FDA approved for, we call that off-label indications. And, and this n might not be a, a commonly understood term to most of our listeners, uh, but the reality is that the majority of medications get approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration for one reason, 
But then once it's approved, physicians have the right to prescribe it for anything they believe it will help. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No. And there can be plenty of research supporting off-label use. I know in your specialty and mine yes. as well. But it's something that we have to be uh, cognizant of when we're listening to advertisements. Absolutely. So uh, there was an editorial uh, in March of 2018 in one of the Lancet journals, which is a, a well-known and well-respected group of journals from across the pond in the United Kingdom. And um, they showed that in a group of men age 65 and older who had a low measure of testosterone in their bloodstream, but no evidence of that hypogonadism, that they, uh, they were making the right amount of sperm, and they didn't have any, any side effects besides the fact that their testosterone was low. But, I mean, interesting, we should probably point out, they had documented low testosterone. They did. So um, one of the two things the gonad makes was low. Yet, at the end of 12 months of being on testosterone, there was almost no beneficial effects to those men. And those men also had decreased libido or decreased interest in intimacy, and they had a sense of low vitality. So they were clearly struggling with something, and they had documented low testosterone. But this study said giving them the testosterone didn't have any impact. And something fascinating here, in our our own local, where Chris and I live, um, quarterly medical journal of our uh, county medical society, there was an article in um, this season about the, the truth about testosterone written by a local endocrinologist. And he was quoting information that testosterone actually can help cardiovascular disease. Yet, in this Lancet article, they quote a study that showed that it made the coronary arteries more full of plaque. Hmm. Uh, so I, I want Dr. Stump to help us to, to clarify what is really going on here. Now, fortunately, direct-to-consumer ads in the United States for testosterone stopped in 2014. Uh, because the Food and Drug Administration said uh, to the companies making these medications that, look, this medication is only a replacement for people, men, who are not making enough testosterone or enough sperm. Now, you know, it's interesting. We may not get into it, Dr. Stump, but this idea that we're bombarded now with supplements for testosterone. Yes. Because that's legal. This, this uh, statement from the FDA didn't stop so-called natural supplements Correct. that are said to boost testosterone. So uh, the internet and late night TV infomercials are loaded with these products and they get exempt from the FDA prohibitions, don't they? Uh, unfortunately, they do. And there's always fine print that says, this is not a medication, it's never <laughs> been proven to do this, but that's very small and very quick with a, a soft voice at the end of the ad. Or, or a very rapidly speaking voice <laughs> right. at the end of the ad, or both. Uh, so another reason I believe that these direct-to-consumer ads ended in 2014 is there is a large class-action lawsuit against drug companies who were trying to expand the market for selling their prescription testosterone products to people who really didn't need it. And, uh, and I'm also interested to see if this ties in at all to the use of the bodybuilding steroids. Mm. Because in one sense, testosterone is a broader class of steroid hormone, is yeah. correct. I mean, Tom, in your practice, I know in mine, do you have many patients who come in to see you that saw an advertisement for a medication or a treatment, and they're demanding that from you, and you spend your time <sighs> trying to explain that you don't need this, this isn't gonna help you? Yes, direct-to-consumer ads are not the friend of any physician that I know. Or patients, for that because matter. Because we have to dispel uh, a lot of myth. I mean, there's there's a little nugget of truth wrapped around those ads, but there's a lot of supposition, a lot of layers put on it to make people think it might be more than it really is. Oh, good point. So back to the AMA, God bless them. In 2015, they did the right thing, called for a ban on direct-to-consumer advertising. Hasn't happened yet, but but maybe it will. And even in June of 2018, my beloved Consumer Reports, which, which I like to read, they do a lot of good things, uh, they pointed out, too, that there's uh, a big overselling and overuse of testosterone. In fact, in 2013, testosterone sales in the United States topped 
billion dollars. That's with a B. Billion with a B as in <laughs> the thing that makes honey. So now, not surprisingly, even by 2014, for the first year in 20 years, the number of prescriptions went down. Why? Direct-to-consumer advertising ended. And there were several studies out that showed that the places that the ads aired the most had the greatest increase in the number of uh, testosterone prescriptions. So hopefully that lays the groundwork for when we call Dr. Stump on the phone. And before we get him on our hotline, I'll pose the medical trivia question of the day. Now, in the last episode, I asked a question about how many eggs the average healthy woman could ovulate during her lifetime. I will not ask you how many eggs the average healthy man can ovulate because it's zero. But I will ask, in the spirit of equal time for men, how many sperm does the average man produce in his lifetime? Get your calculators ready. We'll be back after the break with Dr. Craig Stump. Welcome back to our second segment in this episode of Dr. Doctor. We have with us today Dr. Craig Stump. He's an endocrinologist or a hormone expert. Also, diabetes and thyroid disease are part of that. He is now at the University of Arizona Medical Center in Tucson, Arizona, as well as the Southern Arizona Veterans Administration Healthcare uh, System. He did his residency in internal medicine and his fellowship in endocrinology at Mayo Clinic, not the one in Arizona, but the one in frigid Rochester, Minnesota. Craig, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Well, it's a pleasure being on with you, and uh, it's a pleasure being in Tucson in January. (laughs) (laughs) Rub it in. That's right. (laughs) Craig, this is wonderful. We have three men, and we're going to spend a few minutes talking about men and testosterone. It doesn't get any better than this. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a a popular topic. (laughs) You know, low T or low testosterone ads, as Tom and I have been talking before you joined us, are everywhere. They've been all over the place, and, you know, it really suggests that you're just not a man or you're not complete without this one essential hormone that's probably lacking. It's essential for energy and masculinity and good grades in school. <laughs> um, is testosterone really all that important for men? And, and if it is, why? Yeah, I t- I, I'm not going to argue at all that testosterone is not important. It certainly is important for men. And the development of men uh, through the various stages of their life, uh, that's pretty much indisputable. And whenever we have situations in which testosterone is abolished or not present uh, at very high levels at all, we definitely do see problems. Uh, The questions that most of these uh, controversies that have come up of late are revolve around is whether somewhat low testosterone is the problem and whether or not uh, administering testosterone by injections or gels or patches or other means offers benefit harm or somewhere in between. Uh, great question. How do we know what constitutes low testosterone? Well, uh, like many of our lab tests that we deal with as uh, physicians, uh, the normal ranges are are usually based on the population where we see people at within two standard deviations of normal ranges or, or expected ranges uh, for certain ages, sexes, uh, or sexual, whatever. But um, right now, this tends to be the working definition uh, is less than 300. That may be uh, uh, um, uh, number of convenience, I'm sure it is, it's easy to remember, uh, and there's very little uh, data that would suggest that being slightly above or slightly below makes that much difference. No. But at least I think that's a, a reasonable point to start the discussion around. So let's take a male baby all the way up to an 80-year-old man. Does the testosterone level change greatly between those two endpoints, and if so, how? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's very important in development uh, of a male uh, in utero. There's testosterone surges at that time, which trigger a number of th- uh, uh, mechanisms which you know produce the male phenotype versus the default female phenotype. And the phenotype this. is just the way somebody looks. Yep, uh, the, uh, their physical characteristics physical. and their 
their uh, you know uh, the organs, their their uh, um, uh, attributes from a biological point of view. Great. And then there's a uh, a smaller surge uh, in infancy of testosterone, uh, and then it's fairly uh, low, relatively low through childhood, and then you start getting the surge with with puberty and uh, uh, peaking uh, somewhere shortly after and into young adulthood with a very gradual decline thereafter until the end of life. So there's not a plateau, a drop-off at all? There's no male menopause? Well, there's nothing, certainly nothing comparable to uh, female menopause. I mean, female, yeah, female menopause in which... uh, uh, it's predictable in every single woman we've ever uh, known that reaches a certain point in her life uh, drops off in in uh, sex steroid production. There's nothing that approximates that in in males. Uh, there seems to be no age or uh, timing in which we see a, a, a kind of a step or a drop off or a, a plummeting of values that can in any way be predictable. Hmm. So, Craig, what proportion uh, of men out there have low testosterone levels that, that are meaningful that will um, affect their daily lives? Well, that's the, uh, the, the question that uh, is being uh, bounced back and forth. Uh, certainly, if you're measuring blood levels, uh, the number of men out there uh, with lower than normal uh, blood levels are uh, probably on the order of uh, five to ten percent in uh, the global uh, population, and that drops off a little bit each year as a, a, a man ages. But if it's but five to ten percent in blood level, how many of those men are affected in their in their daily lives? Are all of them affected? Yeah. Well, that again. When you say affected, what are the usual complaints of men that come into the clinic that think that they have low testosterone or are wondering if they have low testosterone? Usually some uh, combination of the following, some dissatisfaction with their sexual life, uh, low energy, unable to do the things that they used to do physically, um, you know, less uh, inclined to be uh, physically active or uh, ambitious or aggressive, and they're concerned about that. Um, now, that's not particularly unique to men with low measures of testosterone. Uh, that's, a, that's kind of 20th, 21st century uh, uh, human existence now. So it's really hard to sort out which of the people are experiencing those symptoms uh, as a result of their low testosterone versus a myriad of other uh, causes and conditions. Craig, we, you, you said that testosterone drops after it peaks in young adulthood. From, from God's point of view in making us this way, why do you think he made men that way for the testosterone level to drop with aging? Well, you know, the the drop with aging is a little hard to interpret as well because uh, we know that testosterone drops as men accumulate medical and health problems as they age. Uh, whether a fairly robust, active, uh, uh, and vigorous uh, 60-, 70-year-old man's testosterone drops very much is is questionable. Uh, most of the men that we see in that age group have a number of other other health problems as well. So it's hard to say for sure that the drop is due to age per se as opposed to just the general accumulation, like I said, of other chronic conditions uh-huh. that, mm. that uh, are hard to t- untangle. You know, we don't have a really good comparison of robust 80-year-olds versus <laughs> the average 80-year-olds to see how much their testosterone differs. I think there is a slight decrease even in the most robust elderly men, uh, and whether or not that that's part of God's design or not, I'm not sure. You could, you could certainly uh, anticipate uh, 
reasons for that. I mean, at different stages of a man's life require different attributes from the man as far as, uh, you know, their, their time when they're productive in their work versus the time when they become more of the, the sage, uh, <laughs> the advisor, the, uh, the, the patriarch. And, uh, and it could be that uh, a slightly lower testosterone level actually accommodate some of those other needs uh, uh, for family and uh, society that men would do better with a little bit less testosterone at that point in their life. Uh, certainly when they're in the midst of, uh, uh, of seeking a mate, uh, raising a family, uh, providing for their family. You know, you can think back in centuries and millennia past, hunting, hunting and uh, and uh, providing and uh, protecting and going to war and all those kind of things required probably more testosterone than the village elder. So, Craig, in the last 20 years, we reviewed before this that the prescription rate for testosterone has gone up two to fourfold. Have, have your prescriptions gone up in that period of time? Personally, probably not. I think if you look at those kind of data, the vast majority of those increases in prescriptions come from primary care uh, 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 providers. So, and the endocrinologists tend to be a little more resistant to uh, in, uh, 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 handing out or, or good prescribing to know. So we'd like to so, hit several myth or fact questions here in kind of rapid fire before we go more in depth. So if you could just briefly answer each of these, whether they're true or not, starting with our mo most cases of impotence are due to low testosterone, myth or fact? Well, you're going to put me on the spot here because <laughs> you're going to ask me for a, a, a yes or no answer. And it's usually in these cases, it depends. Uh, so, so, but I would say for that particular one, I, I, I would say in general, it's a myth. Definitely testosterone is a factor in a sexual function, but uh, it's multifactorial. And uh, in my experience, it's, it's less than 50% of right. the, so of here's the one, contribution. Uh, yeah. Here's one, Craig, from my area of interest. Uh, most causes of male infertility due to low testosterone, myth, or fact? Well, again, that is probably myth. I don't think testosterone and fertility necessarily go hand in hand in terms of cause and effect, but they certainly parallel each other. Because many of the things that are leading, I believe, to lower uh, uh, fertility uh, it, are the same factors that are driving down testosterone. Got it. So, uh, you know, uh, just generally poor health, uh, poor physical activity, uh, metabolic disease, obesity, poor sleep, uh, disrupted schedules, high-stress lifestyles, all those kind of things, I think, are contributing to both. Okay. But, uh, you know, definitely, you, if you want an answer in terms of uh, 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 if you replace somebody with testosterone, it'll help their fertility, the uh, answer is definitely no. Okay. Right, here's, the, here's another good one, uh, present company excluded, of course. <laughs> Most overweight men between the age of 40 and 60 have low testosterone. I would say almost every overweight man, uh, oh, did you say over the age of 60? I would say 40 to any, 60. Yeah, we said 40 any to 60. Over, over, overweight man has a lower testosterone than they would have ah. if they were healthy weight. Very I good. I can say that for sure. Okay, next now, one. Would they all go below 300? No, but okay. they would definitely be lower than they would have been if they, if they weren't overweight. Lower, but not necessarily pathologically low. Yes. Okay, next one. Most men who lose muscle, muscle mass between the ages of 30 and 60 have low testosterone. Uh, again, they have less, they, they have less uh, muscle mass than they would have had. Uh, uh, I should say their testosterone tends to go down because they are less healthy and they have less muscle mass because they're less healthy. Mm -hmm. The loss of testosterone only compounds the problem 
and makes it more difficult for them to hold on to whatever muscle. But the mass loss they of have. testosterone is that the cause of the loss of muscle uh, mass? I would say it's a contributor. Mm-hmm. Contributor. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. Taking testosterone supplements helps bodybuilders put on more muscle and gain more strength. Uh, I would I would say that's a fact. Uh, I uh, you wouldn't have all, all these professional athletes uh, and uh, high performance people uh, uh, using these products that are androgen like if it didn't have some uh, benefit. I think that's pretty well established. Now those situations are uh, usually super physiologic and also combined with very intense workout and training regimens. So those particular individuals that I think you're referring to, uh, the, the athletic type that are putting in a lot of time uh, training or in the weight room and taking testosterone, I definitely think that those two are synergistic. And, okay, we have and two have more before our break. Most men with low energy suffer from low testosterone. Myth or fact? That's a myth. Uh, I don't have too many men that come in and see me that don't complain of low energy, and only a minority of them actually have low testosterone. Now, uh, many of the men that come in uh, that have low testosterone obviously complain of, of having low energy, but surprisingly, every once in a while, I get somebody that comes in that has frankly low testosterone and they say they feel fine so it's kind of hard to to draw a cause and effect from that experience all right our last one craig before the break most men feel better if they'll just take testosterone almost all men that take testosterone especially if their doctor tells them here you take this you'll feel a lot better (laughs) almost all of them feel better after taking testosterone at least for a while. <laughs> because we found out in, before you were on that 80 to 85% of men who take testosterone stop it by one year after they start it. Well, Craig, we're going to have to take a quick break. Uh, we'll join us after the break, and we'll pick up this fascinating testosterone-based discussion. You're listening to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back as we continue our conversation with endocrinologist Dr. Craig Stump from Tucson, Arizona. We're talking about testosterone, and now after some of the background information we covered in the last segment, let's go to that patient. It could be, you know, some of you listeners who might think you have low T, or some of you women listeners who might have a father or husband who might fit into this category. You know, what if a man comes into your office, Craig, and says, you know, I'm just really tired. I don't feel the way I used to. There's been a big drop off in my energy level and my motivation. Do I have low T? You know, doctor, how are you going to help me figure this out? That is a very common question uh, from men that we see in our practice. And uh, the very first question that we need to answer is actually what is the patient's testosterone level? Uh, Of course, after after reviewing with them the reason why they feel like that they are experiencing what may be low testosterone, we need to actually measure the value. And there's a very particular way that it is recommended that it's to be measured, and that is uh, first thing in the morning uh, on two separate occasions, uh, separated by at least a week or more, in which the value is below the actual normal level that's uh, particular to that lab or system, and it's usually somewhere around uh, 300 would be the value that would earn that designation. The reason we do it first thing in the morning is because men don't produce the same amount of testosterone all day long from, from sun up till sundown. There's a particular surge in the morning and then it tends to tail off afternoon and into the evening. So what we really want to do is measure it when it's supposed to be high so we can get an idea of whether or not that individual is making testosterone at a time of the day 
in which we would expect them to be making testosterone. Many times, it's unbelievable how many times people will get put on testosterone. Either they've never had a testosterone measured at all, or they have one or two measurements in the afternoon when almost everybody's low in the afternoon. Even healthy, uh, robust men are, are lowish in the afternoon. So a key so point for our listeners first... is that don't take the medicine, don't take testosterone unless you've demonstrated these two early morning low levels. That would definitely be my recommendation. So that would be the starting point to determine whether or not we're actually dealing with the testosterone problem. Because obviously, the like I mentioned in the earlier segment, uh, many of the symptoms are not particular to testosterone. It could be for other reasons. And so uh, we don't want to be chasing down a problem and giving testosterone if there's some other reason they're feeling that way. Now, so, then the so next... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, from a practical standpoint, I know this happens in my specialty a lot. You know, a man presents and has all of the symptoms. You check the testosterone values. They seem to be pretty normal. But he says, yeah, but doc, I feel this way. Is there a downside to treating him sort of, you know, empirically to see if his symptoms improve, or is that not good medicine? Uh, it wouldn't. It 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 would not be supported by the the evidence because there is no evidence uh, for those people uh, to be treated with testosterone. It would be all speculation, and whatever I told you would probably be wrong. So. <laughs> Um, then, you know, once we establish they're low, then we try to probe as to why uh, they are low. Okay, so there's, there's the classic textbook versions of this, and we pick these up periodically as endocrinologists, probably not so much in primary care world, but, but there are people that have had injuries to their testicles or surgery or their testicles didn't descend, they had mumps as a child, uh, those types of things in which they have a, uh, you know, a pathology underlying their low testosterone. There's even some genetic conditions that uh, show up once in a while in our clinics, and that those people definitely have testosterone for a, a, a well-defined reason. And then also, this is not often well appreciated by patients and, and families, that the testicles don't just work on their own to make testosterone. Uh, the pituitary gland in the brain is actually telling the testicle to make testosterone. So if that function of that pituitary gland is off, then uh, it can also uh, cause low testosterone and some of the symptoms that are characteristic of it. So well, the last thing we want to do is uh, avoid some problem with the uh, pituitary gland, uh, perhaps a benign tumor or a an infarct or uh, something along that line, a stroke, or that it happened and, and where their pituitary is not functioning and just give them testosterone and send them on their way. So a key so, point you just made for our listeners, which I think really need to double down on, is just because the testosterone is low does not mean you immediately start testosterone supplement, but you try to find exactly why it's low. Exactly. And some, and some of those... And some of those reasons that they're low uh, are not fixable, uh, not reversible uh, uh, by medicine or surgery or, or any other means. And, and those people may very well benefit greatly by giving testosterone. Uh, now, those types of patients that have a definitive testicle or pituitary problem are probably only about 10% of the people that we're discussing here, but they're an important 10% because uh, they, if they go undiscovered or untreated, then uh, they could, you know, suffer the effects of that. Uh, the other 90%, they are usually low, if they are low, for a variety of other reasons, and the most common of those in our society now is obesity or excess weight and, uh, or, and other chronic diseases in which the patient's just not as active, robust, and healthy as they used to be. How I does that lower this, the testosterone? Yeah, that's, that's um, was where I was going with this is that um, I don't have any scientific data to support this, but I often think of this in terms of uh, conservation of resources by the 
the human person. And if somebody is not healthy and they are not uh, 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 thriving, the body, I believe, uh, diverts resources away from reproduction and towards uh, dealing with their chronic illness and their other issues. Uh, you can think of it from a teleological point of view, yes. and you see the same thing in, in women who are not healthy. They stop ovulating yes. or they stop having menstrual periods. Uh, I, I believe that the body just would rather divert energy and resources into survival and recovery than reproduction. And therefore, uh, many times if we can identify these other health issues, um, many times the best step is to address those health issues and the testosterone at least can in some cases recover on its own. That's really an important point you made earlier too. I mean, there is a subset of men who will do very well with testosterone, but it's a small group of people. And then the other subset that's important, it sounds, is those who have something else like chronic ill health uh, who will correct their own testosterone by correcting their ill health, right? Correct. And when I have a patient come in or if one of the listeners has a loved one or themselves that go in, a doctor that uh, uh, is well-versed in this area will probe them on a number of issues uh, such as, have you been gaining weight lately? Uh, how active are you? How much sleep are you getting? Uh, um, are, are you on a variety? Different medications can can interfere with uh, normal pituitary uh, t- testicle axes, uh, particularly narcotics and pain medications. Uh, those suppress the axis between the pituitary gland and the testicle quite readily. So uh, we try to pin those down. And one of the major offenders now is actually obstructive sleep apnea. I don't know if you've had that on your program or not, but it's it's becoming more and more common with the obesity epidemic in which people are just not getting enough oxygen at night when they're asleep. It doesn't allow them to uh, have a restorative rest period and uh, it it tends to turn down this pituitary testicular axis. We often uh, kind of joke amongst ourselves uh, in our uh, endocrine clinic how often somebody comes in uh, for evaluation of low testosterone and they end up having a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea such that we, we call our clinic the occult uh, sleep apnea detection clinic <laughs> because uh, it's, uh, it's so common in that uh, group of men. So Craig- and, and there is some evidence that, that treating the sleep apnea or losing a little bit of weight or becoming more active can reverse endogenous testosterone. So that was my question. This healthy living improve testosterone levels if I exercise more, if I lose weight, if I practice good sleep hygiene? That is definitely the way we try to steer these other 90% of men that come in that don't have a definitive gland problem or a genetic problem or an injury or something that happened to their, uh, uh, their hormonal system, that they're low because of their other health problems. We try to at least at first evaluate whether those conditions are reversible. If we think that there's a chance that they're reversible, we work on reversing them. And then after a period of time, if we're not making any progress, then we start thinking about uh, uh, exogenous uh, testosterone, either injections, patches, gels, or other means. So, Craig, a lot of my patients are always looking for so-called natural ways to improve something. And so you've, you know, we've listed a nice list of, of overall improved health. Um, are there other so-called natural things that men can do to optimize their testosterone metabolism? Uh, well, I think uh, uh, um, other than the things we talked about, uh, interestingly, uh, is being active and involved And uh, in your relationship with your spouse is also very important. There's kind of a a positive feed forward in in terms of uh, of successful and and, uh, pleasurable sexual encounters 
that actually improve testosterone. So you can see that as you work on your relationship and, and your uh, sex life with your spouse, that this can actually have a feed-forward effect on improving your testosterone as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, that's something that's not well appreciated. Uh, uh, success in life tends to improve testosterone in a number of areas. Sure. Now, are there side effects to taking testosterone? Uh, well, y- yes, there can be. Um, uh, there are, um, you know, the, the classic ones that you might read about or hear about are some of these aggressive tendencies that people may have if they get too much testosterone. You've heard about uh, athletes that have used these kind of products that have become hyper-aggressive. Yeah, the uh, but that's blotter. not usually yes. the, the, the thing that we worry about in our patients. Um, what we worry about mostly in our patients is this uh, uh, potential risk for cardiovascular events uh, and uh, uh, venous thromboembolism uh, and strokes and heart attacks. And that is a very contentious debated topic that uh, I do not have the answer for, but we certainly take it into consideration when we're thinking about giving testosterone. In other words, if somebody has a, a, a string of, uh, of strokes or a, um, several uh, episodes of stent placements or heart, heart attacks or whatever, we're less likely to uh, want to give them exogenous testosterone. Now, do we have good evidence to to support that decision, not particularly, but I think it's it's a little bit of defensive medicine, maybe. But uh, we do the best we can with the uh, uh, information that we have. So, you know, one area that has been questioned was that um, a man with prostate cancer. You know, in the past, I remember learning, oh, never give them testosterone; it'll make the cancer grow. Is that true yeah. or false? Uh, it seems to be uh, coming becoming more evident that testosterone is less likely to cause problems with prostate cancer. Now, that being said, somebody that has had prostate cancer, that has had surgery or or some kind of radical treatment, I think in working with most urologists, they're not wild about uh, putting testosterone back into the mix. But as far as uh, using testosterone in the in the way that we're talking about here in men that are middle age or older and their testosterone's low, uh, there's very little, if any, evidence that the use of testosterone in those conditions will actually promote prostate cancer or make it worse. Craig, is there a reliable website that you could refer our listeners to to learn the truth about testosterone and low testosterone? Well, I think you're you're going to be des disappointed on this because no i don't have a reliable <laughs> website uh other than uh, our patients, podcast right <laughs> i mean the uh the, the the i i have relatively uh relatively uh good uh, uh impression of the like the endocrine society and the uh, american uh, association of clinical endocrinologists websites but they tend to be more directed towards uh healthcare professionals, and those are pretty reliable. As far as a patient uh, website, I'm not aware of one that will kind of give a balanced view of the knowledge. They tend to either be kind of hyper-supportive uh, uh, or or, uh, or perhaps uh, um, le- legal um, yeah. avoidance Yeah, well, we all know issues. about that. Yeah. So, Craig, thank you so much for joining us, and recognize that most of our listeners our spouses of men. Uh, any last thoughts you want to leave with our listeners when it comes to this exciting topic? Uh, my my uh, um, recommendations would be if if you are having uh, difficulty with uh, sexual function and uh, low energy and uh, and a lot of just kind of drug out kind of feelings. I think it's reasonable to approach your physician about that to get a couple measurements taken first thing in the morning. But then if the diagnosis is made that your testosterone is low, make sure that your physician is doing all that he or she can to identify the cause, to 
to address the cause and to leave the testosterone replacement uh, for those that uh, do not have a reversible uh, cause of low testosterone. Thank you, Craig, uh, for being with us on Dr. Doctor. Uh, We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And thank you for joining us. You've tuned in just in time (laughs) to hear the answer to our weekly medical trivia question. Tom, it's about sperm. Yes, the last show was about eggs. This one's about sperm. And it's a very simple question. Several people probably just drove off the road. They probably did. They probably don't hear that word on the radio. We apologize to you. Nevertheless, how many sperm does the average man produce in his lifetime? Now, in the last episode, we talked about the average woman producing three to 400 mature eggs, ovulating that many. Would it surprise you to know that every second a man produces more sperm than a woman ovulates eggs in her entire life? We're very efficient that way. We we are efficient at something. In other words, those eggs are really valuable. And each little sperm, not as much. In fact, if we produce 1,500 sperm every second just from the age of, say, 15 through 65, that's two and a half to five quadrillion sperm. Quadrillion. That's five with 12 zeros after it. I mean, that's a thousand trillion or a million billion. Or a quadrillion. It's a lot. It's, it's almost a zillion. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot. So now you know. Well, in that last episode, we talked about men and testosterone, but Chris knows something about Women in testosterone. Well, I mean, it's fascinating. A lot of people are surprised to learn, women included, that uh, the ovary makes testosterone in a fraction of the dose, so to speak, um, that a man makes testosterone. But women make testosterone as well. And there's a big difference in women with premenopausal testosterone and postmenopausal testosterone. Um, and this idea that we talked some about with Craig about libido or the interest in intimacy, you know, a lot of times when patients will mention that to me, they'll say, no, I know you don't want to talk about it. And I'll say, it's not that I don't want to talk about it because it's an awkward topic. It's because it's so incredibly complicated. I certainly see women who are 70 who haven't seen testosterone or estrogen maybe in 25 years, (laughs) and they have a normal, healthy libido that they're happy with. And then certainly we see the opposite sometimes in younger women. I think it's fair to say that the the take-home message is this is a very complicated human emotion, and there's much more to it than a simple hormone. And it goes along with our society wanting one simple thing, one vitamin, one food, one medication that's going to fix a very complicated problem. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, human emotions are complex and complicated. Not only emotions, but even medical problems. Look, earlier in the show, we were asking Craig, you know, myth or fact about something that we wanted a black or white answer. Well, as he pointed out, rarely was there a black or white answer as much as we would like that. And, you know, the other thing he pointed out that some of our cardiology guests have pointed out, too, so many of our ills can be solved by drinking a little less alcohol, losing a little bit of weight, getting off the couch a little more often and being a little more active. That's not very flashy, but it turns out it's pretty good advice, isn't it? It makes a big difference. So I actually learned quite a bit in that show. Even though I did a lot of prep time on it, uh, I I now realize that, heck, only 10% of men who have low testosterone really will be the ones that will benefit from taking the testosterone medication. The other 90%, there's something else they can do to raise their testosterone. I think the other take-home for our listeners is when, when you listen to a direct consumer ad <laughs> from a pharmaceutical company, listen with caution if you listen at all. Oh, yes. I, I just tune out when, when those play because I know I'm going to hear from my patients anyway when they come in the office. Hey, speaking of hearing from patients, we have uh, a question or a comment 
uh, from one of our listeners, and it doesn't in any way involve profanity, so I think I can share it. <laughs> I think you can. <laughs> yeah, our listener says, hi, I just want to say thank you for your vaccine podcast on the ethics of vaccine. I've been meaning to listen, and I, I'd forgotten to get around to it. Uh, we vaccinated on time in accord with the CDC, and we're attempting to choose more ethical options when it comes to vaccines like pediatrics instead of Pentacil and others. Uh, I'm horrified by what seems to be a rise in anti-vaccine sentiment among Catholic parents, and I worry about that in our parishes and where there are a lot of kids. So thank you for that comment, not really a question. We're always trying to increase our listeners' level of understanding as best we can when that understanding is obtainable. Absolutely. And, and please, if you send us comments or questions, it helps us know what you want to hear from us. In fact, we're trying to develop, we are developing uh, a, a focus group. In other words, people who listen to the radio show or podcast, and uh, we want them to be available for periodic web-based surveys that would be easy to fill out to help us improve our show. We've been doing some things the, the last uh, couple months of shows to try to improve that, like doing our medical news items dealing with the topic of the show to try to make each show a little more unified. And we want to know how that and some other things uh, are influencing what you're hearing. So if you would like to do that, please email our lovely producer, Andrea, at doctor at redeemerradio.com. Doctor at redeemerradio.com. And also, uh, if you go to iTunes and listen to us there, we would greatly benefit from you leaving a review or liking it because this will help uh, steer more people to us uh, if they do a web search. Well, Tom, I think that's going to be all for us for this episode of Dr. Doctor. Wow. Another one in the can, as they say. Or now it's all digital, so none of those old metaphors really mean anything. But uh, we thank you very much for listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor. We are the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, and we're brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio. For more information on the Catholic Medical Association, you can find us on our website, cathmed.org. That's C-A-T-H-M-E-D dot O-R-G. Be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we'll be discussing a Catholic approach to depression with psychiatrist Dr. Aaron Cariarty. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. Tune in for Dr. Doctor on Redeemer Radio every Friday and Saturday afternoon at 1 or find new episodes at RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor.